Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi, host of the MedTech Talk podcast. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. Let's get the business out of the way. We're uh, just over a week away from the MedTech conference. So if you're going to attend and you haven't registered yet, please don't wait. If you want to save some money, use the code MedTechTalk. You don't even need to write it down. MedTechTalk. I've said it three times now. It's the name of the podcast. So you'll save 200 bucks. It's really that simple. No strings attached. So if you haven't registered, you're going to attend and you want to save $200, use the MedTechTalk code. That's four times, maybe five. Anyway, one of the issues that we'll discuss at the MedTech conference will be the growing power of consumers in MedTech. We'll have a panel with Scott Hunnikins, Kevin Hikes, Arith Rajagopalan. They'll tackle the topic on stage. And today in the podcast, I'll be talking about that topic with Agnes Bajerny. She's the president and CEO of Women's Health at GE Healthcare. Agnes grew up in Hungary when Eastern Europe was still Eastern Europe. Her family instilled a love of science and technology in her and her siblings. And that love of technology, plus the watching of the fall of the Berlin Wall, taught her a lesson that's really driven her in her career. And we'll, we'll cover those lessons today. Now as a senior executive of GE, Agnes is using her position to not only encourage her own daughters to pursue careers in technology, but also middle school students through a program called GE Girls. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk shop, specifically how GE is working to make one of the more uncomfortable screening procedures, the mammogram, more bearable, and because of that, more effective. So now let's begin this great conversation with Agnes Barzani, the president and CEO of Women's Health at GE Healthcare. We always start off these conversations finding out a little bit about our guests so our listeners know who exactly they're talking to. Uh, how did you find your way into medtech? It is actually a very interesting story because I, I grew up in, uh, in Hungary and uh, really in a family of engineers. Uh, also, my parents have technical background and educators, so it was actually quite normal for us to talk about science, math, and engineering at home. Matter of fact, also my brother became an engineer as well. So as a result of this, uh, it was quite normal for me to decide to study engineering. And at the age of 17, I received a scholarship from the Hungarian government to study abroad. I went to study in the formal East Germany at, in Magdeburg at the Otto von Gericke University. Oh, and interesting. Yes, it was very interesting times. And then in 1993, I moved uh, to the U.S. to pursue my master's degree in mechanical engineering. So you went over to the, the U.S. in 1993. Was that made possible by the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and all that? Did you have new opportunities available to you? In general, there were just definitely more more opportunities. And I just wanted to to really take advantage of those and, and also pursue a master's degree in mechanical engineering in the U.S. So I studied in a very good engineering school, but also at the same time, a very old and very small, tiny engineering school called Rose Holman Institute of Technology in, in Indiana. So it's a very interesting story because at that time, Rose Holman was still an, a man's only academic uh, engineering college for undergraduate studies. So there wow. were... There were only very, very few female students in the in the master's program. So when it, when time came for me to look for a job, I was just working on finishing my thesis in in the in the spring of 1995. I went to the job fair. Rose Holman always does a good job about providing opportunities and inviting companies. And the very first table I walked up to was the table hosted by the recruiters from GE Aviation. So. 
I'm sure they were just <laughs> as surprised to see a female engineer at Rose Holman. Uh, <laughs> but also my odds were pretty good, I guess, to get a job. So I joined G Aviation about 24 years ago in, uh, in Cincinnati through the technical leadership program. So that program was really focused on design and, um, and engineering and leadership. And, and I also think that much of my background, I really owe it to that, that program and, and to the rigor uh, as we were learning about the fundamentals of jet engine design. I found Agnes's upbringing to be interesting. As a child, as she said, she was invited into the world of science and math. Clearly, she never left. Today, she lives in the U.S. in Wisconsin. She's raising two daughters, both of whom are interested in STEM. But there's an interesting comparison or, or a contrast between the encouragement she received as a young woman and the encouragement that many young women in the U.S. receive today. So I asked about that sort of difference. That's a very interesting question. And I've been actually thinking about this a lot uh, because with GE Girls, um, and I am the co-champion, a co-sponsor for this, for GE, it, it is really focused on how can we ignite the interest of, in girls and give them the confidence that they can also study STEM when they, when they go to college. And, and we learned that you have to really reach them at, at early age, right? So that they would still be interested. They would not give up. And, and I think there are some opportunities here in the U.S. Uh, growing up in Hungary, I actually never thought, to be honest, that uh, I didn't have the same options or um, same opportunities. And so I don't know if it was because of my parents uh, mm -hmm. or because of the opportunities. I did notice in college that there were not that many girls in class. Uh, maybe <laughs> we had only a couple, and especially Rose Holman was eye-opening uh, for me. But... Uh, but I think the science education that the early talent development uh, was so big in Hungary. I mean, often uh, we would go to advanced uh, courses. We would actually travel from high school to the university to take additional classes or there would be programs where you can mail in your math assignments and, and stay in touch with, with a group of community. And here, I think we have an opportunity. I have two daughters, actually, who... Uh, one is studying now engineering at Northeastern and, and the younger one is a senior um, in high school who will be studying um, engineering at Drexel University also. But I noticed uh, later on that um, when they were maybe fourth or fifth grade that they were never tapped on their shoulders like, hey, do you want to be in the more advanced math class? Hmm. Uh, and I was like, how did we miss that when I know my kids love math, right? So I, I don't know. Uh, the answer, but what I do know is that girls need that extra reinforcement. And, and I think that's what we are, we are doing with our program, taking them for a one-week camp, which is co-hosted usually by a, a university or an engineering school and by GE. And these girls can have an opportunity to experience something in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, which maybe usually they would only have an opportunity to look at that if they go to school and they study and our partners are, I mean, we have the great academic partners. The program started out with MIT. We have it here locally in Milwaukee with MSOE, also uh, UW-Madison. Uh, so great partnerships with about 20 different uh, colleges. And how challenging was it uh, being at uh, Rose Holman? You, you mentioned you were one of the few, if perhaps only female uh, students there. Was that uh, 
was it was did, was it challenging what were the what were some of the uh the hurdles that you had to overcome but for me it was challenging for multiple reasons one was that uh english was my fourth language so <laughs> I, it was quite intimidating, to be honest, when you jump in and you're giving presentations immediately and doing your coursework uh, in English. And uh, so that, that was just at the personal level. It was a little bit of a culture shock, to be honest. I, I just never experienced uh, that type of uh, setting. On the other hand, I was just blown away by the commitment to students. Uh, the, the student and faculty ratio is just incredible at Rose and all the support we were getting during the studies. But also, as, as I mentioned, when, when you're finishing your school and, and you are looking for your role, there was just so much support. Uh, and it, I think it's a pretty high percentage of uh, students uh, land a job before graduation at Rose Holman. So while it was challenging, um, at the same time, I was really just really impressed by the resources and the high level of education and, and a lot of focus on project work and teamwork, which was not the case uh, where I studied before. So that was very encouraging. And, you know, looking back, uh, I'm grateful to Rose. Um, 20 years later, after my graduation, I received uh, one of the alumni awards, and and then shortly after they asked me to be uh, on the board of trustees for Rose Holman as well. So it also gave me the opportunity to give back to to the school. That's excellent. I have to ask, what are the other three languages? <laughs> well, I speak Hungarian. Um, second language was Russian, and then German. All right. Did you stop at four, or do you have a few more under your belt? No, I, I kind of unfortunately stopped. I should be better with French, <laughs> you hit, but you, I'm not. You hit the wall. <laughs> I hit the wall. So Agnes started her career at GE in aviation. She moved to Cincinnati and then back to Hungary. In 2003, she had the opportunity to combine her career with a real purpose. She joined GE Healthcare. She oversaw the service business in Eastern Europe, Russia, and CIS territories, so a total of 38 countries. There was double-digit growth, great opportunities, and that opened the door for her to return to the U.S. to work in ultrasound and other high-growth markets. Let's talk about uh, your, your role as president and CEO of Women's Health at GE Healthcare. How did you come to uh, take that position? Well, I have been very passionate about um, our opportunities here with, uh, with especially fighting against breast cancer. And with Women's Health, we have just such a, a great opportunity to engage more women in breast cancer screening. And we all know that the best defense against breast cancer is, is pretty much um, early detection. So I was really fascinated by, by this uh, opportunity and, and challenge also at the same time. Um, so in Women's Health, we have uh, two main segments. We have the bone metabolic health segment, which is more focused on osteoporosis screening and also diagnosis. And then we have the mammography business, which is all about screening and also diagnosis of, uh, of breast cancer. But was this a position that you desired that you sought after yeah, or was yeah. it presented to you? How, how did you, uh, it, how did you sort of build your resume toward getting to where you are today? It, it, first of all, it was a mix of both, right? Uh, partially, I was I was approached by this opportunity, but I was also fascinated by it. And as a woman, I I just wanted to make make an impact. I think this is an area where we all have 
people close to us who have been impacted by this disease, right? Um, close friends, uh, family members. I'm just going through this personally with a very close family member who was just recently diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. So that passion and um, commitment and interest uh, was there. And then the opportunity presented itself. So I felt it was a perfect intersection of, um, of this opportunity. In terms of building up my background to it, I ran product businesses in the past uh, before. Uh, and that's what's so unique about GE, that you have the opportunity to work in bigger businesses, bigger uh, segments like, like women's health or also render services, a global growth business, which is almost a $5 billion business, but also had opportunities to run startup, um, startup type of businesses like the pocket size ultrasound with vScan. Uh, my team uh, brought vScan to the market and commercially activated it and and also some analytics. So I have done product uh, roles in the past and that's what my passion is. I like to solve uh, problems and I like to energize my team to solve those problems together. So what was that? That's an interesting uh, experience to have in NG and I, and I wasn't aware of that, that you were involved in the pocket size ultrasound project. What is it like being an entrepreneur in a, in a larger entity like G? Do they give you all the tools and, and everything you need to succeed? Or is it sort of, uh, uh, is it, a, is it sort of a, uh, a, does it, is it consistent with the rest of the culture? And do you find yourself sort of bumping up against things more than perhaps you expected? In a way it's, um, it's kind of perfect sides of both worlds because you do have the opportunity to build your business case. It's easier, right, uh, to secure funding, uh, funding internally. Uh, but at the same time, you do have to create a startup type of environment where the mission is so big uh, that often um, the goals you set are probably bigger than people can imagine, right? So when we, for example, uh, launched vScan, we said we want to redefine the physical exam completely. I mean, it took the stethoscope 200 years to be where it is, but what if clinicians and physicians could also see what they could only hear before, right? But to drive that change, um, it did take a lot of, um, lot of commitment, a lot of passion, uh, vision, proof points, and there were difficulties. Uh, definitely, there were difficulties. At the beginning, we really targeted the product more for primary care physicians. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that, you know what, uh, that's going to take time. That's going to take time. The immediate need is uh, actually with cardiologists who, who just like how we use our, our phones uh, when we are not in front of our computers, they, when they are not in the echo lab in a physical exam, they can quickly take a look at, like, take a look at the heart. Then we also learned it, there is a room for in a point of care, like in an ER setting. And then also we can solve problems with it, like um, uh, more emerging markets, um, helping midwives and um, helping to reduce infant mortality rates as well. So, but, but of course there are challenges, right? Because it's market creation. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of, lot of focus has to put in, in terms of education. How do we make sure physicians feel comfortable reading and looking at ultrasound images? So the, the education part was probably uh, bigger than what we anticipated, 
what was easier though the commercial piece because we G have a, we have a global footprint so we can go to Indonesia and have a meeting with key uh, societies to talk about how we're going to make this happen or when we did collaboration in Ghana with the MOH. So we have a big footprint and that helps on the commercial side, but you still have to do the, um, the enabling elements of market creation. So what does innovation look like at GE? We'll find out after this message. Hi, everyone. My message is a simple message. Don't forget to register for the MedTech Conference. It's happening next week on May 29th and May 30th in Minneapolis. If you haven't registered yet, you can still do so, and you can use the MedTech Talk code to save yourself $200. Now let's get back into this podcast. So how does innovation work at GE Healthcare? We'll find out in this conversation with Agnes. But first, I asked her if big companies can innovate as well as small ones. Let's listen. I think we have the opportunity to innovate, and I, I have seen it. I think what we have done in ultrasound is a great example, and what we are doing here in, in women's health is a great example for that as well. Because here what we notice that um, even though the facts and the data shows that if women are diagnosed earlier with breast cancer, their risk of dying of the disease can be reduced by 25 to 30%. We also hear from women that often they are afraid of the pain and the, and 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 the discomfort from the exam. Matter of fact, one in four women often avoid their annual mammogram because of this fear. So we figured out that we have to do something completely different. We have to do something for the end user, for for women, for the patient. And we actually asked a team of women in our team. A woman who worked in marketing, in product development, in on the clinical side, in global design, to rely on their own insights and work together with radiologists, technologists, with, with women who had a mammogram in the past before, and design an experience that 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 would help to also bring a product to the market that they would like to be scanned on. And through that, we completely reshaped and and transform both the mammography experience, but also the patient experience. So mm -hmm. this is an example where it's big GE, but if we just focus on the technology, um, listen, we have been innovating in mammography in, for the past 50 years. So we were the first company who brought to market the very first breast um, imaging, dedicated x-ray equipment, the first digital mammography. But yet, compliance rates are not where they need to be. So we have to also innovate for, for the patient, making the experience better. And that's exactly what you see with, with our new product, Senograph Pristina. When you walk into a room, it's a completely different experience. The, we call it the sensory suite, the, what, what patients can see and hear. Maybe it's a rainforest, maybe it's a waterfall, they can hear it. It already helps them to be more relaxed. And we apply the same, same methodology to our design. There are no sharp corners. Every line is rounded. Mm -hmm. um, the color is different. Uh, the, it, it even feels differently when the technology positions the breast tissue. It, it's, it's warmer. The detector is warmer. And, and we took it even a step further. We created this wireless remote device called Dueta which is a patient-assisted compression device. So while the, the patient is compressed, 
she can, in a collaboration with the technologist, final set the compression levels uh, with, with this remote control. So again, this is something so different and, and it's a pure innovation that it's completely just unleashing the thinking that, hey, how can we empower the patient and make the patient be an active participant of the exam? Maybe that will help them also to come back the year after and the year after. So were there new technologies, and thank you for that description about the system, I wanted to, to cover that. Where, uh, is there new technology in the Senegraph Pristina and the Pristina Duetta uh, that you develop specifically for these products? Or are you merely taking existing technologies, melding them with some really great market research and creating a better product? The mammography is similar technology as our mm -hmm. uh, similar technology, but the, the duet is a completely new that did not exist before. So this is interesting. When you start talking about design and rounded edges and everything, we everything everyone's mind, I think, automatically is taken to, to Apple. They seem to be cornering the market and people's brain share about new designs. Uh, was this something that the creation of the Duetta, the creation of a wireless remote that allows women to manage their own compression, was that something that patients that women had asked for, or did you sort of come up with that as a way to, um, to, to meet the demands that, that they wanted to have more control over the situation? They just didn't know how. It, it, we did not hear patients to ask for it. It, it really is the result of an iterative process uh, where we collaborated with technologists, clinicians, and, and patients and watching them and just knowing that, that you have this fear about compression and, and some women are avoiding their annual mammograms or they're delaying making an appointment. So it came from the concept of how can we make them feel more comfortable and how can we make them feel more, more empowered? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's very interesting because some of the data shows that um, we have um, an imaging center in misery that uh, they, they demonstrated that actually when women were using Duetta and uh, during the exam, 63% of their patients actually compressed harder. So as a result of that, they would also be able to get better images as well. The Cenograph Pristina and the Pristina Duetta are both available. They're on the market, being marketed to hospitals that are trying to encourage women to come in and have their mammograms done at that facility have them done more routinely and, and hopefully be more effective. So I asked Agnes about how GE is engaging the patients, because this is clearly an effort to give the patients what they want. And in return, they're giving hospitals what they want as well. How closely is GE listening to patients' desires? Let's listen. We definitely have to think about the patients uh, for, for sure, because at the end of the day, they are the ones who are making the appointment. They are the ones who show up. And, and they, um, they are the receivers of our, our technology during, during the exam. So for us, it has been a very important part of, of our journey. So when we collaborated to understand key insights to how to, how to reshape this mammography experience, it was so important to also have women be part of this uh, iterative process who who had a mammogram in the past before, who, who know, who can provide us feedback on what feels good, what is uncomfortable. And, and I think this is important. And I think we are doing it more and more 
within uh, within GE Healthcare as well. Uh, just like within our MR business, we have uh, a new air coil design, which which also came from collaboration with with the patients as well. I think it's very important to keep um, keep the needs of the patients in mind and take this customer experience all the way to the end user. And do you have any early indication as to whether this is getting traction from patients? Are you hearing from hospitals that are seeing increase in in traffic or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. There are several of our customers who are using it. They tell us about patient stories. Uh, I remember uh, one story where a lady was telling that she used to sit in her car for like five minutes before going in to get her annual mammogram and she was just just dreading it she just was afraid and after uh, having her mammogram where she even had exposure to dueta and she could participate she felt this new way made it feel more comfortable and uh, one 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 even mentioned that i would tell my girlfriends that that's where they should go because it it is hmm. making it more more comfortable Women's healthcare is clearly a growing specialty and it's drawing more interest from VCs and startup CEOs and entrepreneurs. I asked Agnes, how does GE view the women's health specialty? For us, it's uh, really the focus on uh, the bone metabolic health piece, which is more about the osteoporosis uh, piece, which is a big uh, and very important area, especially as uh, women are aging. And when it comes to uh, breast health, I think there are a lot of opportunities here. Uh, where we're going to be heading in terms of breast health is how can we help clinicians with their challenges? And as, as, as we all know, women are facing many risks from family history to, to genomic backgrounds, uh, also uh, breast density and many other risks. So one of our key missions is going to be how can we have clinicians so that they can have the right tools, the right tests for, for each patient? So there's an opportunity here to personalize the approach to breast health and provide different solutions so that it can meet the needs of, of the patient. So just to give you a couple of examples, if, if there's a woman who has dense breast tissue, uh, it is harder to diagnose, right, uh, cancer, because the breast tissue... Um, is, is white and cancer is white as well. It's almost like looking for uh, a snowball in a snowstorm. So often there's an opportunity here to provide supplemental uh, screening in addition to mammography. So maybe it's automated breast ultrasound or, or using MRI. So we are going to be really focused on how, how can we have to make sure that, that clinicians have a more personalized approach to breast health. So that's one area. And the other one where I think there are a lot of opportunities is artificial intelligence. It's uh, definitely AI is, um, the AI has taken the health industry by storm. We do see definitely results backing it up. And, and in breast imaging and breast health, it's it's a clearly an opportunity. We are already partnering with uh, with companies. We are partnering with ICAD, and uh, through this partnership, we are offering um, the la their latest innovation, which is Profound AI. So this technology, for example, is using deep learning algorithms and can really have to detect malignancy in soft tissue uh, densities and also in calcifications. 
but the opportunities are just endless in breast imaging. There are so many opportunities to have the clinicians to be more productive so that they can really focus on the cases they want to be focused on when it comes to risks. And then also uh, making sure that the quality of the exams is, is better and better for the, for the patient as well. So even with AI, there's an opportunity to look at it, not just for the, for the radiologist, but also what is the value for, for the, the patients as well. And, and I think timeliness and access going to matter as well. It mm -hmm. is important to, again, keeping patient in the center. Ideally, it would be very good if patients can go in, get the screening done and the diagnosis done. So we have a solution, which is an international program. It, it is also done through a partnership with Gustave Rossi Cancer Center in France. We call it the one-stop clinic. So here, it's an international program, especially for emerging markets where Within one day, same day, when the patient goes in, they can have their screening and also their diagnostic results. So it's a multi-modality approach, but it, it is helping patients a lot, especially think about areas where sometimes women take off time from work to travel or to commute to get their mammograms done. And then if they have a recall, they go home, they get a phone call, they go back a couple of days later. This way, they can actually get it done the, the same day. We just launched um, a program in Colombia, and the results are very, very promising. At that site, they looked at more than 13,000 women. Uh, they screened more than 13,000 women, and approximately 2,000 cancer cases were found. So again, it's access, maybe even in rural areas, but also timeliness of, of getting the answer, which can also help to reduce anxiety and, and really the stress that's associated with this. R&D is an important part of the women's health business at GE, that's clear. But how much effort is going into internal R&D and how does women's health at GE Healthcare look at ideas from the outside? Are they looking for startups to acquire, to partner with? Let's find out. So first of all, R&D is the heart of what we do. Uh, we are a global, very global business. Um, the R&D Research and Development Center is actually located in in uh, France, outside of uh, outside of Paris, in Buc. And and both in terms of uh, if I look at our employee base, uh, large percentage is is in R&D. We also have the product development piece. We also have marketing, and then we have the global, regional, commercial commercial efforts. So it it is. Uh, the heart of it, it's uh, both focused on continue to innovate in new platforms, uh, a lot of focus on also the artificial intelligence piece and digital solutions, and, and, and really collaborating uh, with, with KOLs and, and thought leaders, uh, thought leaders globally. And by the way, also a very diverse business. So it's probably because of the passion and commitment, but we have a lot of... Uh, uh, female, diverse uh, engineers and, and talents working in, in product development and, and also on the commercial side. And how much do you personally look outside of GE at, at innovative ideas? And what's your assessment of the, the startups and the, the uh, innovation going on at, at those smaller companies? We look at it a lot. Matter of fact, I just got back from uh, a few weeks ago in Boston. We had 
um, the partners uh, conference centered around um, AI, especially when it comes to the digital piece and AI. There are a lot of uh, startups are out there. Um, and I truly believe that to make our vision a reality, it's going to require partnerships. It's going to require partnerships with, with, uh, with um, um, clinicians, right? Because you do need data, you do need um, the right uh, clinical expertise, but also with, with, um, with some of the startup companies as well. So ICAD is a great, great example. We have been in that, we've been collaborating uh, with them for a few years. But it's very exciting to see the the new startups uh, in the breast imaging space, and and we we kind of all talk to each other, frankly, because uh, there are similar missions and visions here, uh, because we're all solving for the same problem. But but it's definitely um, something we are looking at. Finally, I always like to try to get a little advice from folks who have made it so far in a big company like GE. So I asked Agnes what it takes. How do you build a career in a company like GE? I really enjoyed her answer, and this is where the fall of the Berlin Wall comes in. Please listen. I'm really grateful for the opportunities I had over the past 24 years, almost 24 years. I mean, with GE, what has been unique that you have the opportunity to work in multiple businesses like I did with aviation and then healthcare multiple, across multiple regions. Uh, have global roles, um, and as we talked about it, work in bigger core businesses like imaging or services, but also have the opportunity to work with with startups as well. In terms of advice, um, I would um, think about three things. First of all, you have to feel comfortable about change. When I was young, uh, when I was 17 and moving to Germany and watching the Berlin Wall come down and watching an entire country go through change, <laughs> But I do think about that, that that probably molded me because I do view change as an opportunity. And I do think that you have to feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. So that's, that's the first one. And secondly, I also believe that um, what I do uh, in the moment is always the most important thing. And I try to create that excitement with my team to be also very much focused on the, the current problem statement. Um, so everything I work on is the most important mission at that time. And often I see people worrying about, but well, what's their next job? What's the job after the next job? And they miss the opportunity to really make an impact in their current opportunity. So focus a little bit on, on making an impact where you are. And then lastly, I think networking and mentorships are very essential, both internally. I had a lot of mentors and I'm very grateful to, to many. Uh, I spend a lot of time mentoring uh, others as well, but also building these external relationships, especially with customers, uh, listening to them, spending time with them. I often go and just visit them, watch procedures, um, sitting with them in the reading rooms, try to understand their challenges and their problems. And, and gain a better understanding, how, how can we help? So those are some, some advice and, um, and really just to make the most of the opportunities that are given. I think I'll, I'll lay claim to uh, be comfortable being uncomfortable is my favorite. I think that's a great expression. Yes, definitely. You just, it's, it's, it's a sign of learning. Mm -hmm. That's why we are uncomfortable. <laughs> <And> learning, <laughs> learning is important, right? So growing Absolutely. is important.
Well, this has been a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. I hope to get one more episode to you before the MedTech conference. But I do hope you'll join us on May 29th and May 30th in Minneapolis. Go to medtechconference.com. Check out the program. And of course, use that MedTech Talk code. If you haven't registered yet, you'll save yourself $200.